Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. Once again, flying solo on the introduction because Micah and Andy, as we speak, as you guys are listening to this, are in Colorado right now chasing some elk. I am anxious to talk to the guys, see how it's been going for them. Uh, you know, hope they're doing great up there. It's a, a new unit for us this year as far as what happened to it. So, you know, there's a lot of like, I don't know, like almost excitement that, you know, the unit's going to change a little bit for the better for us. And um, excited for the guys. Hope they're doing good out there. Um, anxious to talk to them. Uh, hopefully get to talk to them soon. Anyways, today's show, Joel Turner is on talking about the age-old problem people have. You can term it all kinds of different ways. Target panic, buck fever, whatever you want to call it. Joel Turner is a well-known, world-known leader in that science, the science of target panic and how you can overcome it or control it. And um, it's an awesome show I have with him today. I learned a lot talking to Joel. Uh, I've listened to him on all kinds of shows. He was on Joe Rogan, Hunter's Advantage, the Kafaru cast, Gritty, Jay Scott, Wired to Hunt. You name it, he's been on those podcasts. You should go back and listen to them also. Some of them are decently old, uh, a few years old, but still. Uh, all you got to do is you know search for them. They're awesome shows as well to talk to them uh, or to listen to. But anyway, you know, it's it's terrific. I mean, a lot of people deal with it. You talk to buddies about, you know, what happened with this buck. And you've all probably heard the term, you know, I blacked out or I don't know what happened. You know, it was all a blur. And, uh, you know, it's a real thing. So this, uh, this topic is important. You know, uh, by the time this comes out, we'll be 10 days away from archery season season opening in our state so this is a perfect time to kind of be talking about this stuff and listening about it so uh, thanks to joel for coming on hop into sponsors and partners before we get into today's show weber outfitters uh, they just did an awesome event with movets outdoors a dove hunt with them so uh, they're a terrific uh, you know steward of the outdoors check them out weberoutfitters.com athlon optics just mounted my Midas tack on my brand new six Creed Moor. I have not shot it yet. Probably not going to shoot it until I get back from Wyoming also. But anyways, uh, excited to use it. And uh, man, it, it's, it looks beautiful. So check out Athlon Optics. Find a dealer near you. Onyx Maps. Use our code MWW20 for 20% off. And sneak peek, Onyx, Jared Larson, is going to be on our show next week talking about the features and how to use the mapping service they've got. Awesome show, by the way. Camo Fire. Haven't been on the app for a while, but probably a good idea to get on it before season starts and, and find some last-minute deals, as well as checking out blackovis.com. Use our code MWW10 for 10% off of their website. Man, Black Ovis has got all kinds of stuff. Um, I just... It's been, I guess, a little while since I've been on there, but... I just got some stuff recently uh, from Black Ovis that I needed to pick up some lighted knocks. Uh, some of mine were kind of old and going dead, so I picked up a pack, and guess where I got them? Black Ovis. Huntworth Gear, use our code MWW15 for 15% off uh, because I think their sale is over 
at this point. But 15% off is still pretty awesome when it's already affordable. Check out their different camo patterns, man. Uh, you've got Tarnin. You've got Disruption. I love them both. I've always been a Disruption lean. Always. Because I like that digital camo look. But, man, Tarnin has grown on me the second I started wearing it. And uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to take out to uh, Wyoming. But I'll probably take both, to be honest with you. I've got early season gear in both. So check them out. And then Alps Outdoors, speaking of gear, use the code 2023-2023, Woodswater, for 30% off. I will be rocking their new Elite Pack. I'll be running the Elite 3800 Pack plus Frame. I will also be running, let's see here, their Helix one-person tent, a uh, sleeping pad, uh, I think it's a swift sleeping pad. I will be running a man. I wish I remembered this is a sleeping bag, but I think it's a zero degree bag might be a 20. It's a mummy bag. I know that, uh, I will be using their three liter water bladder, <laughs> their trekking poles. Like I've got all kinds of Alps gear going out to Wyoming with me. So you can get a lot of that gear from alpsoutdoors.com. Zamberland boots, uh, ZamberlandUSA.com. I will be using the Lynx, L-Y-N-X, with the uh, BOA system out in Wyoming. Uh, it's just the boot I've ended up liking the best. It's been terrific. Reveal cameras by Tacticam. I've got 13 of those things, out, actually 12. One of them sitting in my office right now because I took it out and was going to move it. And then my son, was who was with me, uh, got covered in seed ticks so we took off from the farm and i came home and spent the next eight hours uh figuring out how to get seed ticks off the kid so that camera is sitting at home right now but i've got a dozen of them out right now and dude they work flawlessly um the only you know thing i got to do is change some some batteries uh periodically and they've been terrific so check them out and then last but not least our boy dustin habitat works Mention us when you give him a call and get 15% off. His phone number, by the way, is 816-752-7390. Give him a holler, and, uh, you know, he'll talk about anything you want. He does a little bit of everything. Forestry mulching, prescribed fire, which we had him on our show not long ago to talk about that. Uh, mapping and planning is a terrific service he gives. He is super smart about reading maps, and he's just a, a wealth of knowledge. You know, this is what he went to school for. He's been doing it ever since he got out of school. This kid, this dude, knows everything. And, uh, you know, Dustin's a great friend of the show and a, a terrific dude and um, somebody you should help support. That is the sponsors. Uh, we thank each and every one of them for what they do for us. They are huge supporters of our show as well as stuff that we do in the community. Um, they are terrific, and we uh, love working with our our folks at these uh, at these brands. So check them out. And if you're so inclined, check us out. Get on uh, iTunes or Spotify and leave us a five-star review. And don't forget, we got a website, MissouriWoodsAndWater.com. We have been neglecting it, but we will continue to build that gear page that shows you the different things we use, all the way from what camo we use. Or not, not really camo. What, it is camo, but what clothing we wear, what exactly we wear when it comes to Huntworth and other stuff. Um, all the way down to like what flashlights I, I like to use, what headlamps I use, uh, what Andy uses, what Micah uses, 
the broadheads we like to shoot, what we've shot before, and if we liked it or you know maybe disliked it. Uh, and then each one of those things that we tell you we, we use or we have on our gear page, eventually we will have a, a video review of it on our, our YouTube. Um, a link right in our website to go straight to that YouTube video so that you can kind of see what we think about it in person, you know, holding it and talking about it. So, but we've kind of been neglecting it and we're, to be honest with you, probably going to neglect it even more as hunting season starts, but we will work on it. And, uh, that's it. Let's get into the show with Joel Turner about target panic. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. Okay, we got the guy himself, Joel Turner, finally on our podcast. I've had your name in our notes app for a long time, so Joel, it's finally good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, bro. And by the way, it's not Joel's fault. I've never asked, because as soon as I asked, he said yes. Actually, I think I asked like, hmm, less than five days ago, and here you are on the show. So, and, right. and that's with a bunch of podcasts reaching out to you right now, it sounds like, so yeah, appreciate you coming uh, on there's lots i don't know if it's because it's right before, before season or what but uh i got one for a fellow in australia this tonight so it's just one after another black crikey that's cool yeah. <laughs> um so for the for the listener if you don't know who joel is you know it uh joel has a company called shot iq um and his a leader i guess you'd call it in the world of target panic which if you're an archer or a shooter of guns you know what that term means it's got all kinds of different meanings and buck fever and whatever you want to call it but joel is you know a a great resource for anybody that's either got a problem with it or honestly based on what joel talks about everybody has a problem with it uh in some way shape or form but how I kind of came to know who Joel was is like I just said, Joel's been on some shows. Um, so he's been on recently Joe Rogan a few months ago, which was, I'm still in the middle of that one. So don't ruin it for me. We talked about that already, but he's been on Joe Rogan, Hunter's advantage, Kafaru, gritty, Jay Scott, wired to hunt some really large shows in the outdoor space. He's been on them. So if you don't get the type of information you're hoping for out of this one, hop on some of those other shows and listen to some of them. Some of them are several years old, years old, but they all, you know, make sense as to what we're talking about. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting when people listen to ones from like 2016, 2017 to now, it's the information has evolved incredibly to the point where, you know, I, I filmed my online course, uh, control process shooting back in 2016 and it was funny. Joe Rogan was one of the first first people to buy it, which was pretty cool. No shit. <laughs> back in 2016. But uh, back then, I didn't do live clinics. Or I had just started doing them. So this whole program was basically in its infancy. And to where now, like we just refilmed it um, two weeks ago. Not even two weeks ago. We just refilmed the whole control process shooting online course again. So it's much more crisp now it's much more clean the message is very concise just you know these are the things that you 
should do if you want control of your shot. So it's funny if you listen to a podcast from back then to now, it's the same information, but greatly enhanced now. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's, I, I haven't listened to any from back then. So it'll be, it would be interesting for a, for a listener to, to go back to those and well, uh, check them out. If you're There's anything like, of them out there. <laughs> if you're anything like me, you don't like listening to yourself. I have to listen to myself every damn week when I'm editing our shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, like Micah, uh, our co-host, he always listens because he likes to listen to our shows back, but Andy doesn't ever listen to our shit. So, um, <laughs> you know, you can say hi to Mike and Andy if you'd like, because you know, they both would have liked to have been here. Um, uh, hi Mike and Andy. I hope you're having fun on your vacation. If you're not hunting, then I don't know if it's actually a vacation, but whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. Andy went to the beach and he did go bow fishing. So oh, that, count? that counts. That counts. Okay. Yeah. Killed some stingrays. Sounds That's pretty fun. Good. That'll yeah. work. Yeah. Learned how much his boat captain hates dolphins because they couldn't find any sharks because the freaking dolphins wouldn't leave him alone or whatnot, I guess. But, oh, nice. Yeah. Sounds like it was fun, though. Yeah. But, um, cool. Yeah. If you don't know, Joe Rogan actually is a big time archer, or he at least was at one point. I used to see him do stuff. Too, yeah. yeah. So, yep. um, anyways, Joel, before we get into it, kind of introduce yourself, uh, tell the listener where you're from. And uh, give them a little background about, you know, how this all started for you. I was born and raised and still live in a little town of Eatonville, Washington. And uh, I started shooting a bow when I was seven and not well. I But I would shoot so much. I was like completely infatuated with the arrow and watching arrows fly. And I remember my dad still has the bow that I started shooting. It's a, it's a 41-pound bear cub recurve and uh, he got it in the 60s in fact he got stationed on an island in alaska and his mom sent him this bow now can you be can you imagine being on an island in alaska with lemmings everywhere to shoot with your bow and he sent the bow back to her because he didn't he didn't shoot it at all so i'm like oh my gosh Anyway, seven years old, I picked up that bow and started shooting, and uh, it quickly became just my life. I mean, everything revolved around archery and shooting, but I was not good at it, and I was so frustrated with all the problems I was having, just even aiming at a target without letting the arrow go, and that just followed me throughout teenage years and and, uh, early adulthood, and then I was a... uh, I became a wildlife specialist with USDA Wildlife Services, so all I did all day long was shoot stuff, mostly with suppressed air rifles, and it was good. I was a I was a hell of a shot with an air rifle and a shotgun, mm-hmm. but if you put me in precision environments, I was not your guy. And, and knowing that, right after I was a wildlife specialist, I became a police officer, and then two years into being a police officer, I became a firearms instructor and a sniper on the SWAT team at the same time. So I really had to get my stuff together because I did not know how to control myself in high stress events. And I asked every person I knew, I read every book, I watched every video and they're just the information that was out there. I'm thinking, I don't think that's the problem. And so it was just a matter of, of self-diagnosis and trying to figure all this stuff out is what led to shot IQ and control process shooting and the whole, 
the whole gamut of what we do today and understanding the knowledge or understanding how the brain works in shooting and how it works against you in shooting. So once we got that information and, and really had to piece it all, all together because there was no package to, there was no scientific package on how to fix this problem. It was all fragmented and and certain good shooters had ways of doing what they did, but they didn't even know how they did it. So they couldn't explain it to another person. And that got watered down. It just went person to person to person. And pretty soon you're just stuck shooting a blank bail and hoping that something from that blank bail shooting is going to transfer to actual aimed shooting, especially in high stress events. And it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. So finally figuring out that it doesn't work that way and you know putting that into i was i was like a a scared child in the swat sniper world because i didn't know how it was going to go and that sucks <laughs> that feeling is what drove this whole program is not knowing how it was going to go because i had the sounding board of bow hunting and the sounding board of rifle hunting and it was, you know, every time that coyote would come in and as soon as the crossers would get on that thing, I would have such an urge to just yank the crap out of the trigger. And I fell victim to that urge for most of my life until I started making decisions inside the shot. And that's when things really started to change. And then once, even though I started making decisions in a shot, I never blueprinted how I did it until like as late as 2014 2014 is the first year i really blueprinted how i had shot very few controlled shots in the in the past but because i controlled those shots i was very conscious about it i understand i understood how i did it and that was the light bulb moment for me and then i really started into the program and and figuring out how to actually transfer this information to other people did you uh initially did you relate archery to shooting a rifle and what i mean by that is i feel like for a lot of us archery and rifle hunting like they they're competing ideologies some rifle hunters and archery hunters hate each other and you know rifle hunting's cheating archery's stupid blah 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 did you kind of obviously they they are the same thing kind of right like you're you're shocking your body so initially, when when you started kind of going through this um, process of just figuring out what to do to help control the situation and be better archer or shooter, was it this will work for both of these, or did it take you kind of using your process both ways to go? Oh, it's it's very similar. It's the same thing. How long did it did it work that way right off the bat? Well, we had to figure out what the core problem was. And once we figured out what the core problem was, which is your subconscious mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. That's why shooting is so difficult for the human mind to comprehend. And I was the lead firearms instructor for Washington State in 2009 is when I really started to be able to experiment on recruits. And how did I get them to concentrate on a trigger press when it's the only thing that will save their life or the life of another. And that's pretty rare in police shooting because most police shootings are not precision. They're not precision environments. Most of them are 
are fast and close. And that's a whole other science that you have to deal with in that realm. But I started to figure out how to get these people to concentrate on a trigger press. And at the same time, I'm trying to gain control of my own shot in the archery world Mm -hmm. because I can shoot archery at my house every day, hundreds of arrows a day. So I could just train and train and train. And what I realized is I was actually practicing my own failure in archery, which led to my practicing of my own failure in firearms. So, but once we really figured out the core problem, that your subconscious mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. I'm like, okay, so how, what is the problem? How do we override our own central nervous system? And you got to start to look at how do people do this in real life? How do you override your central nervous system? Well, think about standing with your your toes hanging over the edge of a cliff. Right. Do you hear my joke? What did you say? You oh, said, how do you override your central nervous system? I said, drugs. I know that's not Yeah, true. right, drugs. <laughs> so that is one way to do it, I guess. Yeah, but true. Like, think about, you got your little toesies hanging over the edge of a cliff. And you're looking down over the cliff, and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if that water's deep enough. You're thinking in the future. You're thinking of the results. But if you need to do a movement to get yourself off the cliff that's going to cause your body impact, you will not move until you make a conscious decision to override your central nervous system. What does that sound like in most people? It sounds like, here I go. So there you are, you're looking down over the thing, and you've got all these thoughts, right? And we'll get into the whole thoughts aren't thinking concept in just a second. But you've got all these thoughts, I don't know if the water's deep enough, oh man, all my buddies are down there, they're yelling at me, which just does nothing but up your determination, right? It doesn't change the task of you jumping your butt off a cliff. It just changes your determination level and your determination level. Once it gets high enough, you make a decision. That's when you see the breath come in and then here I go. Then and only then are you present enough to do a movement that causes your body impact. So that's how people do it in real life and other situations. Let's take that same science and put it into a shot. So what I get people to do now is number one, I can't teach you determination, but I can help you find it right through ridicule or whatever. But think about this in the rifle world. You're on the, you're on the bench and you got all your buddies standing around you and you guys are all sighting in your deer rifles. Yeah. And for some reason you forget to take the safety off on your rifle and you yank the crap out of that trigger and your body does a convulsion and all you close your eyes and all those things happen. You're like, Oh gosh, I hope nobody saw that. But everybody did see it, right? So now, what happens on the second shot? Now you know your buddies are watching you very closely. You've definitely taken the safety off now. And because you were humiliated by the first time, your determination to do it right the second time is now through the roof. So now you're like, I am not doing that again. That's a decision, right? You had enough determination to finally make a decision. So you get on the trigger, you put your crosshair where you want it, then you get your finger on the trigger, then you say something like, here I go, and then you actually talk yourself through the trigger press. Now, why didn't you do that the first time? Because your determination wasn't high enough, and you never decided to control the first shot, right? So we look at how all these things come together, and then that's how we we just took that 
and put that into our archery shot. But it's so much more difficult to control an archery shot because the explosion happens within your body. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a firearm, the explosion happens in the apparatus. It happens in the firearm. Now, it imparts recoil upon you, smoke, fire, noise, all that bad stuff. But in a archery shot, you're actually holding this bow apart. And so your mind wants to know when this sudden release of energy is going to happen throughout your body. That's why trigger punching is so bad in archery. I mean, it's not, not that it's that bad. It's just that everybody seems to do it, right? They punch the trigger. But here's the kicker. You never have that one where you had the safety on that caused humiliation, where you yank the trigger and the bow doesn't go off. Because every time you yank the trigger, the bow goes off and your arrow hits somewhere in the target, and like, oh, well, I guess that was a good one, right? So you never get, there's no dummy round for a bow. There's no safety on a bow, right? Right. So you never get to actually see the pre-ignition movements that are linked to your trigger motor program in archery. Now, I can see it because I'm, you know, I've watched so many thousands of arrows go off with all these thousands of different people, I get to, you know, and we see it pretty readily with people just clamping onto their bow, right? They punch a trigger and grab their bow at the same time. That's classic pre-ignition movement that's going to deviate your point of impact. So that's how all this stuff came to be, and that's what it is now. I basically teach people how to think, and I teach people how to turn thoughts into thinking because thoughts aren't thinking, right? right. So. My buddy Ben Mayer in Australia told me that a few months ago. I'm like, man, that is such a profound thoughts, statement. Thoughts aren't thinking. I like that. Thoughts aren't thinking, right? So I took that because he he had it as that statement, and he used it in supervisory capacities and in big corporations and such. But when you break it down to an archery shot, thoughts aren't thinking. Thoughts are what you hear. Thinking is what you say. So big bucks coming in, you're like, oh my God, that thing's got to be 200 inches. That's a thought. Has nothing to do with you shooting a good controlled shot, right? Right. So then, oh gosh, is he going to stop between those two twigs? That's a thought, right? And then if you just stay in the realm of thoughts with what you hear in your head, you don't have any control over thoughts. You have all the control you want over thinking. So like you were, we were talking about this before you hit the record button. You know, you go into this mode of thinking where other people stay in the mode of thoughts. Like you go into, oh, this thing's dead. And then you draw your bow back with knowledge and purpose, knowing exactly how you're going to work your trigger to make that thing dead. Right. Because, you know, if you don't work the trigger properly, you're not going to hit exactly where you want to hit. And so you are louder in your head than your thoughts. Your thinking has to be louder than your thoughts. So what you say has to be louder than what you are hearing. Does that make sense? 100%. So actually, let's break that down a little more because you and I talked before the show. Mm -hmm. I feel like archers, there's almost like one or two people one of two people and obviously probably a lot more and you've seen probably the worst case and not so worst case but i i've got a good a good friend of mine who he talks about every time he 
sees a buck or I guess anything, he's going to shoot. He just he blacks out. It's like the the next 30 seconds he wakes up after being punched. And oh, mm-hmm. it's dead right there or I don't know what the hell happened. Now, myself, and I don't know why I am this way. It's not like I can credit myself for being a great archer or I'm not even saying I'm a good archer, but for whatever reason, when I'm hunting and I see an animal that I want to kill, for just whenever I started hunting, it's it's been something that the first buck I ever was after, right? Like you, you see a buck all summer on camera, and then I want to kill that guy, and then you get that guy in front of you. I just thought to myself, I've done too much freaking work to get him mm-hmm. right here. I'm not letting him out of my sight, right? right? So that was the first time it ever happened, and just luckily for me, it has stayed that way where I go into this, all right, there he is now, and like I told you before, I kind of say, you're fucking dead, and mm-hmm. I go into this, now what's your next job? My bow's usually mm-hmm. already in my hand because as soon as I think there's something in there, my bow's already with me. Um, so what's your next job? Where is he going to come? Well, he's either going to come here or here. Well, let's make sure I've usually already got those um, yardages figured out, but if I need to double check, I'll double check. All right, where's your release? Your release is on. And I just go through this like checklist of what's mm-hmm. going to happen. All right, if he's going to come out at 25 yards, um, he should be about quartered away just a touch. So where are you going to put this shot? You're going to put it right here. You know, I just talk to myself. Yep. Who's, so, whose voice, whose voice are you hearing? I'm, I'm almost. I don't know if you videotape me. I might actually be moving my mouth. I don't know that yeah, I'm actually who, saying it. But oh, whose voice are you hearing? My own. It's just me talking to me. Yeah. It's your own, right? Mm-hmm. So thoughts are what you hear. Who knows? Who knows whose voice that is? That's yeah. the narrative that you've built throughout your life, right? Thinking is what you say. Yeah. So let's talk about the mental game equation real quick. Cause everybody's always talking about the mental game, right? I'm working on the mental game. Oh, this archery is 90 for 95% mental or soccer or golf or whatever. Everybody says that they're working on the mental game. Have you ever said that? No. So <clears throat> what, what do you think the mental game of, of archery is? Oh, Can you define that? For me, it's, the months you put in before, like all the work you've done trying to figure the, the, the deer or the elk or whatever you're hunting, all the work you've done up until that point. I don't, right, but that's, that's physical stuff. So if I look at him like, bro, I've watched you shoot a bow. Oh my gosh. You are the greatest archer I've ever seen in my life. Right. You're and you're like, that. well, Turner, if you want to be like me, <laughs> you need to work on your mental game. I'm like, no kidding, bro. Yeah. Like, how do I do that? I see what you mean. Right? Because it's nobody's ever defined it. What is this mental game that we're supposed to play? Like most people, like your buddy that that blacks out, he doesn't even know when he shows up at the at the arena. He doesn't know what game he's playing. He doesn't know who the players are, and he damn sure doesn't know how to win the game. Because he doesn't even know what the rules are. Right? So what we did is we just came to the realization that we've never defined the mental game. So I was asked by a very smart person, can you define the mental game? I'm like, 
will stand by. And so I had to think for a second, think about all the things that we do at Shot IQ, and I went, <clears throat> okay, here's here's my definition of the mental game. It's knowing when, where, and how to direct your conscious mind into a specific task at a specific moment. Period. End of sentence. It's knowing when, where, and how to direct your conscious mind into a specific task at a specific moment. So that's what you're doing when you're walking yourself through steps. When, when do you need to put your conscious mind into the trigger work? Where do you need to put it is in the trigger work, right? So we know that each archery shot has a moment of truth, okay? A moment when conscious control must exist. In an archery shot, it's very easy to define. It's after you've aimed and after you put your finger on the trigger, okay? That's your, mo that's your moment of truth. And then how do you direct your conscious mind is always speech. So we just figure out all the mental games that we're playing. Where do I need to put my conscious mind? In the golf swing, in shooting a basketball, in shooting an arrow, in shooting a bullet, whatever it is, right? Where do I need to put it? When do I need to put it there? And how do I put it there? The how is always speech. So when you break it down to what you're doing when a buck's coming in, what you are doing is you're playing multiple mental games, right? You, okay, where's my bow? <laughs> you put your bow in your hand. Mm -hmm. That mental game is done. You just won that one. Okay, how far is it? He's 23. You just won that mental game, right? Because you've already ranged it. Then when it comes to the shot itself, that's where the mental game really becomes important because if you don't play the mental game, you'll run your shot on thoughts alone. And if you do that, your subconscious will always default to punching the trigger. Usually you'll punch the trigger before you even get your pin exactly where you want it. So understanding the concept of thoughts aren't thinking. Thoughts are what you hear. Thinking is what you say. And then the mental game equation. You can take just about any problem in life. Parenting, anger management, anxiety attacks, shooting a bow, a rifle, fighting, jujitsu, whatever it is, whatever your specific problem is at that moment, plug it into the equation. Where do I need my conscious mind? When do I need it there? And how do I put it there? You know, for most sports, that's why shooting is so much different than everything else. Because, like, if you are doing, uh, let's say, shooting a basketball, right? If you put your conscious mind into the movement itself when you're shooting a basketball, you'll screw up the totality of the movement. Whereas, so where do we need to put our conscious mind in shooting a basketball? It needs to be in vision. Because vision is what dictates the trajectory and the power level and all the stuff that you are that you're doing in this basketball shot is all dictated by your eyes. So maybe you saying see it right before you shoot the ball to keep your conscious mind out of the movement and into vision. Whereas in shooting, in precision shooting, your conscious mind has to be in the trigger work. Very specific moment of truth after you've aimed and after you've put your finger on the trigger, right? So once you understand this mental game equation, now you can start plugging your problems into it. And then when you win that mental game, you know exactly how you did it. So you do it again and you do it again. And then it just becomes 
not natural because shooting is never natural, right? It's not right. It's not something that we're just going to figure out. Shooting is something that requires a conscious override of the central nervous system. You just need to know what you are saying, therefore what you are thinking at that specific moment. So I find, um, and I've got another follow-up question, but since we're on this exact second, I find that when I'm going through like my steps, and I'm just talking about when I'm shooting now, I mean, I guess we can talk about when I'm hunting too, but like when I'm going through my process, I, I, ho- I hope I say this the right way. I find that my better shots are almost when I'm surprised by the shot when, compared to when I know I shot. Does that make sense? So like, you know, like I'm, I'm working, I, I still run a trigger release because I feel best with that. And it's a sweat back trigger and I'm using those back muscles and I'm slowly going, I'm slowly going. And my finger is only there to make the trigger go backwards as I'm, I'm going through my motion. And yeah, I it's feel, just the hook. It's just yeah, it's just the hook, right? So I feel like my best shots are when I'm like, all right, I'm on, I'm on, looking good, looking good. Oh, and the the, the arrow's already gone. Um, compared to when I, I'm like, here's the shot, and then the shot, I know the shot's coming, so I'm probably more punchy. Is it? Do you see what I mean? Is it a better thing to be almost surprised by your shot because you were going through your thought process more specifically? Well, here's the science of it. If you, now it's interesting. If you go back and listen to what you just said, mm-hmm. when you you talked yourself through that imaginary shot, and then in the other shot, you didn't say anything about the process itself. But when you said, uh, you said several phrases in there, and you said them more than once and in a rhythm. So that's where your conscious mind is. Now, one of those phrases that you said was, I'm on, I'm on. That means that at that, in those particular moments, when you're saying, I'm on, I'm on, that means you're putting your conscious mind into your aim. It, has not, it can't help you there. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to say that, right? You literally stick your pin on the target and then just step back and enjoy the show by right. watching it. You don't have any control over it. But then you would switch... You'll really have to go back and listen to those phrases that you just I'll said. Have to, yeah. Because you'll notice that you then switch your conscious mind back to your trigger. And that's where it needs to be. And you you make that switch through speech, right? So anytime you say something more than once in a, in a rhythm, that's your conscious mind's attempt at concentration. So the science of it is however is when you shoot a surprise shot when you're talking yourself you are instructing yourself through this movement and you're you can feel the movement happening but you don't care that it's happening you just keep moving right and the shot breaks as a surprise that means if it's a surprise break that means there are no pre-ignition movements linked to your trigger motor program there is no flinch involved with that. So all the all the movements that happen are after the arrow's already gone. If you just draw back and aim and then shoot a shot and you knew when it was going to go, your subconscious knew when it was going to go, remember the core problem. It will always link pre-ignition movements to the trigger motor program. It will always time the explosion if it can time the explosion. What you're do- doing by talking yourself through the movement is you're keeping it, you're keeping the subconscious out of that process and you're just 
instructing yourself through it. So those shots, nine times out of 10, are going to be more accurate. But there are some times when you need to shoot faster. Sure. You know, that buck's walking underneath you or whatever at five yards, and you don't necessarily need to be pulling through that trigger. But you still have to aim properly. Yeah. So the mental game for punching a trigger is just like basketball. You got to keep your mind, your conscious mind in the aim and then just go ahead and punch the trigger, right? If it's close enough to do that. But if that buck's standing out there at 40 and you run that mental game and you keep your mind in the aim itself, you're going to punch the trigger. Therefore, there will be pre-ignition movements linked to the trigger motor program. Therefore, it's not going to hit where you think it's going to hit. And like any... Sorry, I thought you were done with your thought there. Sorry. Well, you you just have to be able to recognize the environment. Shooting a controlled shot as a surprise break should be your norm. Mm-hmm. That should be just what you do, right? But every now and again, you have to punch the trigger to be successful in a different environment that's close or fast or whatever. So there are these two different dynamics, but most of bow hunting is precision world. So you want to go what's called closed loop which is means slow enough you could stop it yeah and the so. the time that i've seen uh well the buck i was telling you about the one that i mistakenly thought was mm-hmm. a different one as soon as i saw him it was oh you're dead but then he got on me really quick so i was I, I even remember being like you fucker slow down like i was talking to the buck almost right so my process i, I would say like sped up you know mm-hmm. i kind of had to hurry up because he was at seven yards within two seconds and I remember telling myself, though, he's at seven, he, he's right there, and he's he's quartered to you, and he's right underneath you. Remember that. I was like almost telling myself, remember this. And mm-hmm. I still shot him high. Mm-hmm. But I knew I shot him high. I guess that's one thing I, I'm happy with, for me at least, is I know where the shots are. I don't mm-hmm. – I guess I don't need verification – as soon as I shot him, I said, fuck, you missed him high. Or I know mm-hmm. I hit him, but I, I knew I was high. And mm-hmm. um, that might have just been a a, a a punching the trigger moment where I was rushing through my process a little faster than normal because he ran right up on me. But Well, I imagine, I imagine the last thought you had was where you were going to aim because it's – I mean, you said your last thought. It was, mm-hmm. you know, he's seven yards and, you know, whatever he's quartered toward you, and that's what you remembered. But do you actually remember anything about the shot itself? That one, I can almost tell you, I don't think I do. Like, I, I feel like it was, there he is, there's where I need to aim, and then, mm-hmm. damn it, I missed high. Well, right, so yeah. your subconscious took over on that, but it was just, you needed to put your mind in the aim on that one and get exactly where you need to. You just may have misjudged where you need to put your pin, but you don't remember anything about the shot. Now... That environment, it's okay, right? It was okay for that environment, but if that buck was standing at forty, bro, you'd it's have a different different story. Completely, yeah, because you'd have punched the trigger. I mean, you know, you punched the trigger on that one. Do you see a big difference going back to the very beginning of this topic? Uh, so when we were talking about my buddy and me, I have no idea why I'm the way I am when mm-hmm. I go through a process when I see a buck. And he probably has no idea why he's the way he is. 
do you see any like correlation with why people are the way they are? I'm sure you see people that are pro- might even be worse than he is as far as blacking out or getting buck fever or whatever. And then people mm-hmm. who are, you know, almost like serial killers, you know, with how good they go through situations. Do you see any correlation with why people are certain ways? The difference, well, we're all born with different personalities, but that was me. I mean, I would black out. It took me 13 years to kill a bull elk with my bow. I'm a two-time world elk calling champion, bro, in the professional division. Mm-hmm. I can call elk in like a chicken on a string. I have a very specific biological way that I call an elk. It's very successful, but I couldn't hit him. I mean, I couldn't hit him even very close. So I was not born with this killer instinct, if you will. But that all changed once I understood what the problem was. I just wasn't ever deciding to actually shoot with control. I was trying to kill the critter instead of trying to shoot, or not trying to, but doing. I was trying to kill the critter. And that was the only thing in my mind instead of staying in a shot process. Mm -hmm. And until it meant more to me to stay in a shot process than to kill the critter, I was in that gray area of shot control. I didn't know how it was going to go. Like one shot would be good and the next 10 would be garbage. And then I'd have a good one because I'd be so pissed off because I remembered the last 10 that I screwed up on. And so once that cycle started happening, that's when finally one day I sat, I just shot a monster black tail that I've been after all season. I shot him at eight yards and I still didn't get through my shot. And this was 2014. And that's when I sat in that tree stand when I got to figure this crap out. And I had one shot in 2008 that was controlled, one shot in 2010 that was controlled. And I remembered everything about those shots. And on those shots, I made very specific decisions at specific moments in the shot. So I wasn't one of those people that was just like stone cold killer. I was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. But all I did is I erased the wonder. Like you going into the woods right now, you should not have any wonder in your mind how your shot's going to go. No matter what shot is presented to you, you know exactly how you're going to direct your mind through the process. Whereas your buddy is just trying to kill the deer. Right. And he's not, he has, I almost guarantee you, he probably punches the trigger in practice. So he's literally practicing his own failure because you're going to get ultra efficient when it comes to shooting critters. Mm -hmm. So he gets even more efficient to the point where he lets his subconscious just run over him and it will always black you out. It's a very negative event, right? To shoot a a bow it's a very negative event to shoot a gun there your mind does not like to be surprised by explosions especially in a high stress event so the difference is is that you decide to control your shot he's just trying to kill the deer there are two vastly different avenues that you can go down but once you understand like if you truly understand how you do it then you can give him your blueprint and then once he listens to this podcast or whatever, he will have a blueprint. So he needs to go to the range, get control of his shot there. Right? Like maybe he needs to up his shot IQ a little bit, right? Right. So he gets that information. He gets in control of his shot and then he blueprints it. 
So to blueprint a shot, you got to know what you're thinking after here I go, which should be nothing other than your shot activation movement, your trigger movement. Question number two, what was I saying after here I go? So you got to know how you were directing your conscious mind into the trigger. What words were you using and at what rate were you saying them? Number three, could I have stopped it? Was I so keenly concentrated on my shot activation movement that I could have stopped it anywhere within it? Because if you can say yes to that, that means you're truly moving slow enough and you're in a closed loop control system. And then finally, what decisions did you make to get yourself in the process for this one shot? Because all the stuff I'm talking about only lasts for one shot. Sure. It's not like you just get it. Like, oh man, I got this. And then you just start shooting more and more and you start punching that trigger just a little bit and then worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's just, it's how we learn. It's how humans do things. So that's why it's so difficult to stay in a controlled shot because you are literally staying in the cognitive stage of learning, the first stage of learning where self-talk and self-instruction actually happens. But then it seems weird that you have to talk yourself through this thing that you've done thousands of times. And then you stop even deciding to control it. You just shoot with your buddies and you find yourself drawing your bow back and you have never decided to shoot that one shot with control at all. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I mean, when you, when you really get into this, like you have to make a decision before you draw your bow back. Like I would say, I'm shooting the shot with control no matter what. It's what we call the original decision. It starts every precision shot. And then as you draw your bow back, your buddy's going to feel himself start slipping. He's going to start slipping back in the subconscious. His, his thoughts are going to get louder. So as you draw your bow, say something to yourself like, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to kill this mother effer. Whatever you say, right? Say something as you draw your bow back because now you're making a decision inside the shot process. And then that will up your presence. That's what decisions do is they increase your presence. So now you, as you draw your bow back, I'm going to do this right. And that will make you present enough to get your 30-yard pin on that 30-yard target. Right? And then once that's done, you step away from that and you wrap your finger on the trigger. And then is your moment of truth, right? Remember that moment of truth we talked about? It's after you've aimed and after you put your finger on the trigger you say here i go that last decision increases your presence so that you can remember to self-instruct yourself through the trigger movement so there's four things in every shot number one draw back and aim number two address the trigger number three is here i go number four self-instruct through the trigger work those are the four things that you do every single shot and that battle that you have to fight, that mental game that you have to play gets easier and easier and easier. You understand the opponents. You understand the rules of the game. You know how to win. And then once you have blueprinted that win, then you just do it again and again and again hmm. to the point where you demystify your shot. There is no question when I go elk hunting this year, there's no question how I'm going to shoot my shot. Now, does that mean that I'm going to smoke that bull? No. Does not mean that, but I'm not going to miss him because of an uncontrolled shot. I'm not going to miss him because I black out. I'm going to control everything that I can in that archery shot. And it's probably going to go in the middle, but you know, we never can tell that. 
but you have a, I can rest assured that I will have controlled everything that I humanly could in that moment of truth. So when you look at the people that, you know, difference between you and your buddy, you're making decisions. He's trying to kill a deer. There's two vastly different paths. Man, I'll tell you, I thank God for whoever got me going down this path. I don't, cause <laughs> like when you, when you went through that process, I do all, I mean, I don't even know how I'm doing it. I just like, first thing I do is your stance needs to be correct. And then I draw back as I'm drawing back. I'm like, remember it's 32 yards. Mm -hmm. That's your, I'm going to do this right. Which I've usually, you know, turned my dial if I need to or whatever, or if I'm going to use my 30 yard pin, I I tell myself, remember it's 32 yards. And so I don't know how the hell it happened for me though. I just had some good teachers. I don't friggin' know. And you know, I have somebody, did you have anybody teach you that? I had some good help. Yeah. I mean, my, but did they, my did other they brother-in-law. To, did they tell you to say specific things at specific moments in a shot? No, not really. I mean, they were, that's what they were just, there was, no, it was, there it was, was more no. like a, like a control yourself, you know, um, you know, don't punch your trigger. I don't know. I never knew what that meant when I first started. So I started archery and I probably should have told you this earlier. I was older when I started hunting. So I was in college by the the first time I went on a turkey hunt with a shotgun with my brother-in-law. First time I started deer hunting was, I don't remember how long, but it, it's not been a long, long time. So I don't know, is, have you noticed a correlation between older, oh, yeah. older being, big time. is it a good thing for them? It is because the older people get, the more life experience you have, the more adversity you've had to deal with the more you've had to turn thoughts into thinking in specific moments. And so then when you take that knowledge, I mean, it's just how you do stuff now, right? Mm -hmm. So all I've done is put words to how you do what you do because I didn't have that. I started when I was seven, right? Do you know how many seven-year-olds are out there right now punching the crap out of triggers? Like almost every one of them. Bodhi started, I mean... We can talk about Bodhi all we want, but Bodhi started punching trigger at three. Bodhi started shooting a bow at 10 and a half months old. He couldn't even stand up and he's shooting his little stick bow, right? But I kept him in fun environments, right? Mm -hmm. So he's shooting balloons out of the air at two and a half years old. But then at three, I got him his first compound, a little index finger trigger, and he punched a snot out of that thing, right? I'm like, oh, this is not happening. (laughs) And this is what I see parents are so frustrated with their kids right now because they're punching triggers and punching triggers. And then they'll they'll buy him the whole gamut of releases, right? Well, he's, he's punching his hinge now. I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding. What life experience does that young person have? What life experience do they have where they have to override their own central nervous system and understand how they did it? Yeah. So there is a fix for it. It's very simple. Get your kid a resistance activated release, right? With a safety on it. So if you you have your kid, I almost guarantee you they're punching the trigger right now if you have them shooting a release aid. Yep. So uh, any resistance activated release, there's good ones out there like a Stan Onyx R, a Silverback. Um, there's a there's a bunch of different ones out there. Um, but it's got a safety on it, right? So just teach little Johnny or little Nancy or whatever. Push the safety in. 
draw back and aim. Don't let your thumb off the safety until after you have aimed, right? Once you have done that, once the aim is done, then you can take the safety off. Then you say, here I go. And this is where you make your kids say, here I go. It's the only thing you need to hear out of them. Here I go. And you make sure it's at the right time. It's after they've aimed and after they've taken the safety off. Then they say, here I go. And then they talk themselves through the pull. Like have them say, pull. Until it goes off or it doesn't. It's none of their business. Right? And then you have to set it tight enough to where they actually have to work at it. Don't set it so light to where if they try to punch it, it goes off. Set it so hard that when they try to punch it, it doesn't go off. And then once you get them to pull and become singular minded and you see this movement very smooth and it breaks, right? There was no, yeah, there's no big old yanks or anything in there. Then you start to lighten that release up to a manageable level for them. And you don't need to tell them any of this stuff. This is just, it's this just, is how we're yeah. doing it. You got to push the safety in, draw back and aim. Once you've aimed, take the safety off. Then I want to hear you say, here I go. And then I want you to talk yourself through it. So once you have that, now the kid understands what it is to become singular minded in a movement that causes an explosion. Do they need to know any of that? No. But you get them shooting. And then once they understand what it is to be singular minded, then they can take that knowledge when they get mature enough. They take that knowledge and then they can put it into whatever release they want. Well, that's right? great. That's great because parents, I'm telling you, parents are so frustrated around the world. I deal with folks that are frustrated with their kids. I'm like, let me explain something to you. You're asking a child to do something that is just shy of impossible for the adult mind to comprehend. Right. How can we expect kids to not punch triggers? And then once they're punching a trigger at 10, 11, 12 years old, they're never going to get that good. They're they're going to be stuck. They're only going to be as good as their pre-ignition movements allow. And then they'll look at people that are on the professional archery circuit and go, well, he looks like he's punching a trigger. Yeah, but his trigger is so light that you can blow on it to make it go off. And his bow is 12 pounds because of all the stabilizer weights they've put on there. <laughs> and those are the anomalies, right? There's only a few of those people that are out there that are winning anything. Then if if they want to follow somebody, follow Bodhi. I mean, Bodhi's an inspiration to a lot of kids out there because Bodhi shoots a controlled shot, right? And Bodhi's not special. Anybody can do what Bodhi does, but you have to concentrate on the trigger movement. Not on the aim. It doesn't matter how shaky you are or how many push-ups you can do or any of that stuff. It depends on how well you can step away from the aim, just let it dance and enjoy the show, and then you talk yourself through the trigger movement. That's the key. And then you can start to get... Because once you once you shoot the surprise break, the world is yours. I will. Now you can start... I'm going to have to those, man. Plug, now you can start plugging things in to, you know, you can start plugging form tweaks in because if you punch the trigger, it doesn't matter what form tweak you do. 
because it's all overridden by pre-ignition movements. Your flinch is going to override everything that you just did in your archery form. So the flinch is going to have collapses with it. It's going to grab your bow arm, your bow hand. It does all kinds of crazy stuff, and you don't know which one's coming. So let's just completely get rid of all of the pre-ignition movements. I'm going to change a bunch. So I've got a 12-year-old son who mm-hmm. just got his first compound bow that, two months ago. And yeah. I racked my brain over, like, how am I going to teach him? What I don't know what I'm doing, you know. I mean, so I just said, well, I'm going to teach him what I know because that's what a dad does, right? Like, this is what dad knows. Sure. So yeah. I'm going to definitely change the release, but – uh, I'm curious what you think about so he gets tired real easy so we only mm. shoot maybe 10 shots each time mm. we go out and once he starts looking tired we're done mm. and I don't if he gets discouraged we're also done you know I want mm. he needs to have fun so the biggest thing I do with him is I do the same thing that I do I, I say okay get, get in your good stance all right are you in a good stance yep all right draw your bow all right, remember you're at 20 yards, which we haven't moved from 20 yards this entire time, but he's at 20 yards. And then I just – the only thing I really have a hard time with is I can't see his aim. I That's not something I can see. So I'll ask mm-hmm. him, do you feel good to – are you on your spot? Yep, okay. Start slowly squeezing back, slowly squeeze back. And if I feel like I watched him not punch anything, I don't even care where his arrow hit because – I don't know where his aim is anymore. You know, that's my only bad thing is I said, hey, that looked like a good shot, though, buddy. He might be eight inches off to the right of his of his aim. But mm-hmm. I'm just watching him, you know, and trying to see if he's if he's punching or not. Would you would you recommend that I stop talking to him and make him talk to himself out loud yeah, to me, needs- out loud to me, though? He needs to say it or he needs to he needs to instruct you. Okay. Right. So, but you got to be careful because when you talk out loud, you lose air. True. Your archery shot. Right. So you need to, he needs to start internalizing this to where really the only thing you need to hear out of him is here I go. So stand on XR and a silverback. I'll look into those. Yeah. The, those are a couple different ones. So have him make a decision to shoot a controlled shot first. Mm-hmm. Like just have him say no matter what. Okay. Draws back and aims. Then he addresses the trigger. Then he says, here I go. Then he talks himself through the movement. And that that stand on XR or any resistance release with a safety on it, it forces him to make decisions. because And, and he won't have any anxiety in his aim anymore because the safety's still on. That's the beautiful thing about a safety, right? You yeah. can do anything you want knowing that the weapon's not even hot yet. So it'll take all the anxiety out of his aim, but you got to get him like, if you only can only shoot 10 shots, get him doing some pushups and stuff, right? Get him some things built up. There's all kinds of, of strength coaches out there for archery and make him shoot. Don't don't make him do anything, but you know, have him shoot some when he's tired because what you're doing then is he's having thoughts of I'm tired. He needs to get reps and overriding those thoughts with thinking he has to get reps in being the loudest one in the room. That's the most important thing that you could teach your your son is getting him to be the loudest one in the room. Very difficult for people to do. 
especially if they're introverted or introverted or whatever, you have to get reps in that. So then you start, I mean, like I literally in my clinics, I grab onto people's bows and I shake the crap out of their bow while they're at full draw. What's their job? Their job is to override me and get louder than the thought of, man, this guy's shaking my bow. That's a thought. That's not thinking, right? So you got to get reps in becoming the loudest one in the room. That's why, you know, I'm kind of notorious now for like whacking people with arrows and shaking their bow and making them shoot on one foot. That's all so they get reps in turning thoughts into thinking. Turn th- Thoughts are not thinking. I love that. And don't right. get me wrong. The boy would shoot all day, all night long if he could. What mm. I'm saying when he gets tired is what I'll notice is he, he does this little hip cock, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of like yep. he's like trying to be a good looking chick and showing everybody her ass. Sure. Like he's, I can yeah. tell, I can tell he's tired cause he's, he's compensating mm-hmm. somewhere. And so at first I'll be like, Hey, make sure we're straight, you know, standing straight and he'll straighten himself up. But if like the next couple shots, he goes right back to it. That's where mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you're tired. It's okay. And I mean, he's gotten so much better in the, the two months that he's been shooting his bow at longevity, but yeah, you know, like just this is the careful. right time just, to start with them the right way. So I'm asking all these questions now about the boy because I could careful. give a shit about my shot. Right. Be careful giving him a bailout though, like that, because what happens is the subconscious is like a whole other person. So like, let's say you're shooting your bow and you draw back and you're like super shaky, like, oh man, I'm shaking too much. And you let it down. Your subconscious, oh yeah. I know exactly how to get you to not shoot your bow now. (laughs) Remember, the subconscious does not want you to shoot your bow. So every time that he cocks his hip forward, you consciously, you play the mental game for him and you fix it, right? And then he keeps doing it and they're like, okay, we're done. Subconscious like, whoo, good. I'm going to keep cocking. Got us out of of another shooting session, right? I mean, it's always got to be fun for these kids. That's why reactive targets are so good. But when they have control of their shot and you take the anxiety out of the aim, shooting is going to be much more fun for them anyways because their accuracy is going to skyrocket. Now, it's not going to be through the roof with a a tension-activated release because it's all based on preload. Okay, so how much you're pulling on this thing to start with when you take the safety off depends on how much you have to then pull afterwards. So that's why we don't ever let the safety off until after we've aimed. Right. And he'll get get good at at preloading it and figuring out how much tension he needs to put in it as a starting point. But that's the downfall of those releases. But, uh, you know, he'll get exponentially better in control. He's going to start shooting way more accurate. But then once he is mature enough, like you don't see any any attempts at jerking it. He could tell you what his blueprint is. He knows what he's thinking after here I go. He knows what he's saying after here I go. He knows that he could stop it. And he knows what decisions he's making. Like, do you say before you draw your bow back, do you say I'm going to shoot this shot with control no matter what? Oh, yeah, Dad, that's why I said that. Okay, cool. And then as you drew your bow back, did you say, I'm going to do this right? Oh, yeah, Dad, I said that. And then... After you aimed and after you took the safety off, did you say, here I go? Yeah, I say that every time. Like, okay, cool. So now the kid knows what he's thinking. He knows what he's saying. He knows he could stop it. And he knows what decisions he's making. 
that's very powerful information. You've just demystified the shot. So then you can take that blueprint to other release aids that may be more accurate. Nice. They don't have as big of an input. It's all release aid accuracy is all based on input. Mm -hmm. Like how much do you have to pull on it? How much do you have to roll it? You know, how much finger movement do you have? That's all. That's the accuracy factors in release aids. And then one thing I will say, you know, kind of going back to our process. So my uh, brother-in-law that I go out west with, which actually we're going to Wyoming this year, so we're excited about that. But um, Mm -hmm. we, when we first started um, wanting to go out west, and we actually started doing this with our whitetail too, but it it wasn't until we started going out west that we started doing this. Um, we started like doing different shit. Like, all right, we've we've shot a few times. Now go run around the house six times, and then you got twenty freaking seconds to kill. You know that that buck or that that bull. Now this time get on your right knee. This time sit mm-hmm. on your ass. Um, do you find when you put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable, like as an archer? If, if you can put yourself in the same thought process, controlling your, you know, thoughts or think and don't, or what do you, I'm sorry, how did I say that wrong? Make sure you're thinking, not, what how am I saying it right? Saying not, thoughts, right? Yeah, not having thoughts, you're actually thinking. I mean, does yeah. that, does that help an archer when they can put themselves in uncomfortable situations? You were just saying, you know, you might hit somebody on the ass with a, with an arrow or make them stand on one foot. Um, the more they can make themselves uncomfortable, the better? Or is it only when they've been able to establish that baseline of thinking? Do you want them well, doing well, that? You have to, I mean, what do we, what's our purpose? Our purpose is to make our thinking louder than our thoughts. Right. That's what I was trying so to say. All you're doing, all you're doing with, with the physical exertion stuff is you're increasing the sound level. You're increasing the volume of the thoughts. Mm-hmm. So that you then have to significantly increase the volume of your thinking. That's what you're getting reps in. So yeah, seek stress because you have to seek things that make your thoughts louder so that you get reps in overriding them. Right. I mean, yeah. you like when I'm shooting at a bowl. Now I'm literally screaming inside my head. I'll, I know for damn sure that I am the loudest one in the room. Right. Yeah. So that, that picture I sent you, that bull. Yeah. I shot that bullet ten yards with my recurve. I called him in and he was losing his mind at ten yards. He was raking the ground, throwing mud and all kinds of crap all, all over the place. And when I finally got the full draw on that bull at ten yards, there's literally nothing between me and him. Every fiber of my being was telling me to just let my thoughts were just let it go. Let He's it right go. there. He's there. You're going to yeah. get him. I mean, it's 10 yards, right? You're going to get him. But I had to make my thinking louder. And I had to do that, you have to do an override. Like sometimes you have to do a manual override. Like, no, I am not doing that. Right? Because, I mean, I could tell you to this day, that was in 2019 when I killed that bull. And I remember I'm at full draw and I'm looking down the shaft of my arrow on that recurve. And I'm just, I'm, it's going in the middle. And like I said, it's, just let it go. Bull of a lifetime. Just let it go. I'm like, no, I am not going out like that. Fingers on my my uh, grip sear. I'm like, here I go. 
Keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing. Think that little thing popped and boop, I shot that arrow. And it meant everything to me, right? It just means everything for me to control my shot. Now, I've retired from the police force, so I don't have the, the determination well of being a sniper anymore. But I've been there and done that. Uh, and thank God that I had controlled myself in the situation that I was in. So it's, uh, it's just amazing when you get reps in the right stuff. All we're doing is really illustrating what is the, what's this path to shot control? What's this path to mind control? And so that's where, you know, we've got shot IQ for all the shooting stuff. We've got a new brand called Turner Method, which is all the life coaching stuff, mental game equation, thoughts aren't thinking, how to apply that to life. And, uh, it's really interesting. <laughs> like after I was on Rogan, man, because Rogan was talking about the application of what we do at Shot IQ to life in general. But when I did that podcast, I had not defined the mental game yet. And so I didn't have the connection. I knew that it was applicable to everything that we do, but I did not have the nexus. I did not have that connection and I couldn't speak intelligently about it until we defined it. And now we know how to plug problems into the mental game equation. So it, uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. It's very powerful to know how you're going to do what you're going to do. Like when you go on your Wyoming elk hunt, there can be no question how you're going to run your trigger. No question. So, and if you do, yeah. like if you have a bull walk past you at five yards and you're able to stick your big old rack of pins on there and, and punch the trigger and get him, it should feel a little dirty. Right? <laughs> I got lucky. It's you like, Ooh, ooh God, I, I guess I didn't forget how to punch a trigger. Right. Which is cool. You're never going to forget how to punch a trigger, but it can't be the norm. Dude, I'm telling you right now, right? I am so, uh, worried about like talking to people about what you and I have talked about with the way I am right now, because make no mistake. I am not saying shit about people that get, um, buck fever or target panic you know and i'm i'm I, I just i don't know how it happened for me that's just how i go through a shot because the last thing i want is for that to happen to me to all of a sudden be that blackout you know like blackout drunk all of a sudden oh shit a dead animal's in front of me what the hell happened or you know whatever i i do but not you... you know do not hope that upon anybody because i'm sure someone who's in that situation right now you know feels almost hopeless or you know, what can I do about it? Obviously they're coming to you for help too yeah. on those situations. So, um, it just doesn't have to be a mystery. We've got, I mean, we navigated the minefield, man. I navigated it. You through went my through whole it. Life. You crawled so, so others I'm, could run. I am so from the trenches of target panic. Like people say, man, I got, I got target panic real bad. Well, it's not that you got it. Yeah. You're born with an aversion to an explosion. So that's why we all deal with this stuff. But I'm like, how close can you get your pin to the target, you know, before you punch a trigger? Like, oh, I don't know, just cup. It's just it. It just sits. It sits at six o'clock, and it's just so steady down there, but it's not in the middle. I'm like, well, imagine this. Imagine having to hold that pin five feet away from a target, right? Yeah. That's where I was growing up. In fact, I grew up with a buddy of mine, and we were just. I mean, it was so bad. He has had the worst target panic that I've 
ever seen in my life. Like he shot a compound with sights with his fingers. Cause back when we were growing up, we didn't deal with release aids mm-hmm. much compound sights and fingers. And he couldn't even get his boat to full draw without letting it go. <laughs> like it was horrible. We would, I would go to his house before in high school, I'd go to his house before, before school. He had a big log pile next to his target. We would both, draw back simultaneously aiming at the log pile because that's the only way we could get to full draw uh-huh. right we're aiming at the log pile and then we both would swing our bows over the target and let it fly <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious Gosh, it was such a nightmare bro yeah uh okay so, anyways, so i got one last question for you one last question for you i would be remiss andy would be mad at me if i didn't ask this question um you're a big coyote hunter as well. We love coyote hunting over mm-hmm. here in, in the Midwest. Yeah. How do you feel suppressors have changed the game? Have they changed the game to help someone be a better shot? Um, and we, the reason we ask this is we've all started shooting suppressed over the past, mm-hmm. I don't know, 24, 36 months. And I don't know if it's a – if it's actually true, but we all feel like better shots because of those suppressors. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about suppressors and, and helping with that, with that aspect of, you know, the external explosion being not as bad, at least. Um, what, what are your thoughts on those? So it does some pretty significant things because you know, you don't have to have the, the flinch to take up the noise, right? right. So it does help with that. I mean, it helps, physically on the gun itself because it distributes weight differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bullet's actually slightly faster out of a suppressor, just slightly. And the noise reduction and not having to worry about that is a big thing for the mind to overcome. Like, you you know that you, you are damaging your hearing every time you shoot a gun with that, that's unsuppressed. I would say uncivilized, right? Yeah. But if you shoot a gun with no suppressor on it, you know that crack's coming and you're literally injuring yourself every time. And again, your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. If you can lessen the impact somehow, like you're also reducing recoil with the suppressor. Mm -hmm. So it does all kinds of good things to minimize the explosion, which allows your thoughts to not be so loud. They're easier to override when you have a suppressor. Like you don't have to have your thinking at such a high level, right? Yeah. Where it's like shooting a difference between a 22 and a 44 Magnum in the pistol world, right? That 44 is going to just bark and kick and all that stuff was a 22 so much less recoil. That's why we're all good shooters with 22 long rifles. That's why I don't take a lot of advice in precision shooting from small bore people. Because they're not, not having to do a conscious override of their central nervous system. That makes right? not, sense. It's nothing against small bore people, but I don't I don't take a bunch of precision rifle advice or archery advice from small bore shooters because they can they can put their conscious mind wherever they want it and still be successful. Yeah, that makes complete sense, man. So a suppressor is money, and then coyotes don't know where the hell it came from. <laughs> so that's cool too. <laughs> that's nice. You might get a follow-up yeah. shot on a second one. I mean, what's right. funny is that we we used to joke like, you know, we always make an excuse when we need to buy a gun, and obviously, compared to our wives, we, we, it's an investment, right, babe? Knowing 
full and well, we're never going to sell a damn thing. But yeah, after yeah. I got suppressed, I looked in my gun cabinet, my gun safe, and said, every single one of you guns that aren't threaded, if it's too much to thread you and you're not a nice gun, you might go away. I might actually you're sell right. you because you're never going to yeah, get shot yeah. again. <laughs> right. Uh, right. It's, it's so nice. But, um, yeah, for sure. Joel, uh, real quick. Uh, before we hop off, tell everybody how they can uh, get a hold of you and, and look into your shot IQ and the Turner way. Um, how can they, they find you and, and check out more of what you do? Shotiq.com is the website. That's where all the online courses are. We've got online courses in archery, rifle, and precision pistol. And uh, Joel Turner underscore shot IQ on Instagram and uh, Joel Turner at shotiq.com for emails hit me, hit me with questions, anything I can do. I do clinics all over the world. Um, but I think in 2024, I'm going to keep them pretty much in the Pacific Northwest because I've done a lot of traveling in this last year. So keep I think them I might in keep the it. Pacific Northwest so. and then Casey Mo. you come down and see us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. Right. <laughs> but, um, and then also check out his YouTube, uh, shot IQ, just search it on YouTube yeah. and you'll find it. Uh, I've, I've yep. watched a lot of good videos on that too. But, uh, hey, Jill Turner, thanks for coming on and talking about this topic, Target Panic. Good luck to all of the hunters out there this year and hope that you can have your – hold on. Say it again. You can do what? <laughs> Make your thinking louder than your thoughts. I will. Gosh, that one's hard for me. Thinking louder than your thoughts. Uh, that's yep. what you need to try to do this summer or this, this fall, and hopefully you'll be successful. Thanks, Joel. Yep. All right. Thanks, sir. 